Today's podcast is sponsored by Humanetics Vascular Closure, the maker of Vascade and Vascade MVP. Simple and easy to use, Vascade and Vascade MVP vascular closure systems can provide rapid hemostasis for interventional and diagnostic procedures. To learn more, please go to info.humanetics.com slash closure. Welcome to Vascular Voices, the podcast of vascular disease management, the peer-reviewed online journal that educates readers on the latest advancements in endovascular treatment strategies. In this episode, we talk about vascular access, closure, and devices with Dr. Pradeep Nair, an interventional cardiologist with extensive experience in vascular access and closure. Dr. Nair is currently board certified in internal medicine, cardiovascular disease, interventional cardiology, nuclear cardiology, and adult echocardiography. He is a member of the American College of Cardiology, the Society of Cardiac Angiography and Interventions, and the American College of Physicians. He has authored multiple peer-reviewed research publications and presented many abstracts at national cardiovascular meetings. Dr. Nair is currently a reviewer for the Journal of Invasive Cardiology. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Nair. Thank you, Cynthia. Glad to be here. Tell us a little about your practice and what kinds of cases you typically see. What is your mix of procedures in the hospital versus OBL versus ASC? So, Cynthia, I'm, I'm an interventional cardiologist out at the uh, and work out of the Cardiovascular Institute of the South in Holman Gray, Louisiana. And, uh, you know, my early stages of my career uh, as an interventional cardiologist was primarily based in a hospital setting. Uh, but then last uh, over the last several years, uh, uh, it's shifted more towards the outpatient center, especially uh, since we uh, built our uh, ambulatory surgery center uh, slash OBL, which we function as both on certain days. So my case volume these days has been uh, heavily uh, geared towards the uh, vascular uh, vascular disease and intervention. Uh, I still have a, a robust interventional cardiology practice, um, but in Louisiana, we're able to do PCI in the ambulatory surgery center. Uh, we are also uh, doing complex peripheral vascular work in the outpatient setting, uh, but we still uh, have a very strong relationship with our hospital, Terrebonne General, uh, where we uh, do more complex cases where we feel the patient may need an overnight hospital stay, uh, where there's patient-specific risk factors that may uh, uh, yield higher risk of complications or procedures such as uh, uh, aortic aneurysm repairs and, and, and where large bore IV access is required. So that's typically where I practice uh, in, in the hospital setting these days. Most commonly, femoral access has been retrograde from the femoral artery with an up and over to the contralateral side for interventions. Do you see a change in that access, more antegrade access or even below the knee access? from popliteal to pedal access? And when do you prefer to use femoral access for peripheral vascular interventions? That's a great question. Uh, anybody who, has, uh, who knows me or has been following me uh, and what I do in the, in the cath lab knows that I am a uh, proponent of radial intervention. And we're trying to foster that approach for access to treat patients with PAD. Yet anybody who's in that space also knows that we are still growing uh, as far as the type of equipment that we can utilize to treat critical limb-threatening ischemia. 
uh, there's still a lot of tools that uh, uh, we need uh, to get complete therapy. There's going to be need for femoral arterial access, uh, and it still may be a dominant access site uh, for a decade or more. It's hard to know, but I will say that my choice of access uh, when I choose to go femoral is primarily based upon uh, what am I treating? I, I look at the patient, uh, the lesion subset, and understand what types of therapies I may need. Do I need a specific type of stent possibly? Uh, in that scenario, we may not be able to go radial. We can only go uh, from a femoral access. Uh, is there uh, limitations with atherectomy choices if I choose to use an atherectomy tool? All of these uh, aspects will be important. IVUS catheters are 150 centimeters long. So in times I use IVUS quite frequently. So I want to fully evaluate vessels. Uh, and so femoral access will be important. You know, the, the, the standard approach is typically if it's uh, fem for me specifically is femoral popliteal disease. I'll go in a uh, contralateral approach from the uh, uh, retrograde femoral access. Uh, but if I'm dealing with uh, infrapopliteal disease or below the ankle disease, uh, especially in calcific vessels where I need a lot of pushability and translation of my force, antegrade access is very valuable in those scenarios uh, to aid in crossing lesions and delivering equipment. So I think the bottom line is that for a vascular specialist, whoever is the interventionalist should be comfortable accessing whatever site is necessary to get from point A to point B and get the job done right. And what's the most common femoral complication you see in your practice? What do you do to minimize complications for your patients? Overall, uh, our complication rates have uh, dropped dramatically and there's been uh, specific reasons for that, which I'll get into. I mean, I still believe today the most common groin access complication is a hematoma. Uh, usually they're minor. Uh, major hematomas uh, are, are present, but still relatively rare, uh, those that require blood transfusions and so forth. Um, but when you talk about more serious issues, such as perforations or uh, pseudoaneurysms, uh, our rates have gone down. I mean, these are issues that uh, have gone down primarily because of our access techniques. Uh, we utilize ultrasound guidance for uh, virtually 100% of our access. Now, uh, what ultrasound can benefit, the, the way ultrasound can benefit the interventionalist will be uh, multifaceted. First of all, uh, you can get a clean anterior wall puncture. Uh, if your goal is to close the vessel with a closure device, you want to avoid an anterior straight through to the posterior wall puncture because if you go through and through the vessel, uh, the best closure device will never close a posterior wall puncture. You're going to have unabated bleeding through that wall, and that's where hematomas can form, and sometimes uh, they can become quite serious. So ultrasound allows a clean anterior wall puncture, and also you're able to find areas of disease-free vessels. I get that vessels, especially in our vascular disease patients, have calcification and disease throughout. But virtually all patients, most patients, I should say, not all, but most patients have a zone of access that can be utilized safely and that may be most optimal for, for uh, a future a, a closure device at the end of the case. One last point I would make is that 
as far as uh, gaining access and using ultrasound guidance, I mentioned that we use it 100% of the time. And I, I think I should take that back. I think I use it 99% of the time. Uh, there are times when I'm doing a emergent coronary case in the cath lab for a patient coming in with a uh, STEMI or an acute heart attack where they're crashing and burning. And we use the old fashioned palpate, uh, maybe quickly look on fluoroscopy and use anatomical landmarks to get in. So you need to know that access point well, but for endovascular interventions, I have yet to find a leg, a, a patient's leg that fibrillates. So time should never be an issue. Door to balloon times and so forth should never be an issue. We should be able to take our time with access when we do peripheral vascular intervention. What have you learned about femoral access that you wish you would have been taught sooner? Even back to your fellowship days when you were first learning and obtaining access, what do you wish you knew then about access and closure? Well, during my training, uh, my interventional training and general cardiology training, we, we, I primarily was taught uh, to gain access by palpation. I mean, we were doing it without ultrasound the vast majority of the time, unless we couldn't get in. Uh, that yielded complications. I was the manual compression fellow uh, after cases to hold groins that we pulled out if we did, if that was our, our chosen strategy, but hematomas would happen. Uh, sometimes late issues would happen. Uh, so at the interventional conferences, I still remember uh, physicians such as Zoltan Turi, who would always talk about anatomical landmarks. I would learn from, from experts uh, who um, really uh, focus on, on, on safe access. Um, so I would learn about those aspects. But then really what, what shifted me into ultrasound was when Arnold Cito published uh, a trial called the Faust trial. That was looking at femoral artery guided access with ultrasound versus um, versus uh, uh, without uh, angiography guided. So that trial showed that there were less complications in those with ultrasound guidance. And so it raised uh, essentially uh, uh, some interest. It piqued some interest in me. But it wasn't until I really got into the vascular intervention, the, 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 the world of limb salvage, where I really, really honed in my skills with ultrasound guidance. Uh, so the take home message from, from my standpoint for any fellow uh, who's in training, no matter what your discipline, uh, always, uh, if, if it's not an emergent case where, where time is of the essence and you, and you actually have time for a procedure, get good access with an ultrasound, get good with uh, utilizing your ultrasound because uh, it will uh, save a great, otherwise great interventional case from turning into a disaster from a very poor uh, uh, issue or complication from uh, closure or, or lack of hemostasis. So th that's the take home message I would uh, give to the fellows in training. And what is the most important lesson you've learned in proper vessel ac access technique? How does your access affect your ability to close cleanly? I think the key points would be number one, familiarizing yourself with ultrasound, understanding if you're sticking the femoral artery where the common femoral artery, superficial femoral artery, and profunda artery bifurcation uh, uh, occurs. Identify how you want to be able to see vessel tenting with your needle. Uh, utilizing, I didn't mention micropuncture technique is very important. Smaller gauge needles can be highly valuable because if you do inadvertently puncture the wrong spot, it's less of an issue as opposed to a larger gauge, uh, as opposed to a larger needle where you can actually uh, have more bleeding issues. But anterior wall puncture, 
uh, and as well as identifying locations on the vessel that are relatively disease-free. These are very important points. They, you can't always find a disease-free spot, but you can always uh, find the least disease spot to access. So I think uh, that will help you in gaining access to uh, optimize your success. Now, from a closure perspective, um, if you start off with good access, your odds of having good closure uh, increase exponentially, in my opinion. So the first, first goal is to be familiar with multiple closure devices. I think uh, in multiple labs, they have multiple closure devices. Be familiar with all of them. Uh, but when you're doing peripheral vascular intervention, I think it's important to know extravascular closure devices uh, very well or become very familiar with one because these patients may need to be reaccessed sometime in the future. Um, and so understanding the 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 deployment techniques, uh, proper the the proper deployment techniques is going to be important for at, adequately having uh, hemostasis at the end of the case. Okay, so we've talked a bit about arterial access. And what about femoral venous access? How do you approach access differently when it's a venous procedure? And which venous procedures are you performing today? For example, venous denting, peripheral, vascular, mechanical thrombectomy, et cetera? With venous access, the general principles still hold true. Uh, you have less in the way of calcification of the vessel and, and disease in the, in the vein itself, but the general principles hold true. Um, one of the most uh, important aspects of uh, venous access would be uh, to still uh, use ultrasound for your access. And, and early on in my training, we were talking about training and how it's influenced me. Uh, we used anatomical landmarks to get venous access. But I can tell you, there is going to be times where an artery is running either on top of the vein or on the side of the vein, and you can create arterial venous fistulas if you do not utilize ultrasound. Uh, but what I would say is if you use ultrasound, it's it's very hard to get poor access in a vein. Uh, the mo most common procedures that we utilize um, uh, for the vein in, in these days, aside from the cardiology world, right heart catheterizations, uh, in, in the endovascular world, we do pulmonary, uh, pulmonary, uh, Embolus uh, thrombectomy cases, we utilize them for access in the veins for uh, deep venous thrombosis, uh, thrombectomy cases. Uh, but my colleagues in structural heart utilize large bore venous access for transcable tavers. Uh, my electrophysiology colleagues are utilizing it for ablations and, and also for implantation of watchman devices or left atrial appendage closure devices. So venous access, venous cases are um, very important. I think the access is important, but start with ultrasound. And that's going to be the key for, again, success uh, with not only the access, but also with hemostasis and closure. So when we talk about femoral access, we obviously need to discuss closure of that access. What is the primary method of closure in your practice? How do you decide what you were going to use? And is it before or after you obtain access? So typically, um, let me, I, I guess I've had a change uh, in viewpoint over the years. So early on, uh, if I saw a diseased common femoral artery um, in the past, uh, before I was an expert in endovascular intervention, I would say we may have uh, been holding manual compression for those vessels. 
But now, uh, having treated multiple common femoral arteries uh, with severe occlusive disease and and dealing with uh, uh, the worst of the worst types of limb salvage cases, uh, I often will try a closure device as a strategy before uh, uh, attempting manual compression in the vast majority of these patients. Now, uh, even in the most calcific disease, uh, there are ways to get closure that is uh, acceptable with the current closure devices that we have available. But in those scenarios, extravascular closure devices are going to be vitally important to have in your lab uh, because uh, the last thing you want to do with an intravascular device is uh, obstruct a lumen even more. So those are things that you want to avoid. But, uh, you know, when you talk about arterial cases, our ACTs are elevated and we utilize 2V3A inhibitors. Uh, I think, I do believe that uh, achieving hemostasis with a closure device is helpful. There's other aspects of this that are um, just intuitively uh, apparent. Um, you know, the patients, especially in an outpatient setting, uh, we want them to go home. Uh, we're, we're, we're in an OBL. They're not staying overnight. Our patients are going home. So we want to make, ensure uh, early time to ambulation. We want to assure early uh, hemostasis. And so these patients can sit up relatively soon after the procedure, typically within two hours is our standard after a closure device, and then they can go home. Uh, and so that's an important point in the outpatient setting. It's also important in the uh, hospital setting where we do a closure and then they're sent to a floor. And uh, maybe the nurse isn't sitting with them 24 hours in the room with them. And not all patients know if their uh, hematoma is developing and they're growing. So having a closure device backup is very important from that perspective. Um, and these are similar issues that we can talk about with the veins, uh, early time to ambulation with closure devices available, that that can be helpful. Uh, and then if you talk to my elderly male population who may have issues with their prostate and, uh, you know, having to go to the, having to urinate on their back is not an easy proposition for some of them. And putting a Foley catheter in some of these patients is not, uh, uh, you know, something that makes them want to come back for for ongoing procedures if that's necessary down the road. But uh, I think it's a comfort level. I think these patients are more comfortable if they can get up earlier. Which patients are best suited for a vascular closure device? I think the vast majority of patients are going to be candidates, uh, especially in the femoral artery where vascular closure devices are approved. Uh, the vast majority will uh, be able to be treated with a closure device in, in, in the current era. Um, especially with extravascular devices available to us. What are some of the more challenging cases for extravascular closure? Actually, you know, now that you mention it, last week uh, would be a good case to, to bring out of a, a closure device. So this was a patient with severe, and I say he had a uh, above the knee amputation on the right. Uh, he had a, a left subclavian artery occlusion in the past with a carotid subclavian bypass. He had a type three aortic arch. So accessing him from the right arm with a brachial artery or radial artery was always very challenging. And then to make matters worse, his left, he was living with his left leg, uh, but he had a wound to his left leg. Uh, and the problem was he had a femoral bypass. So now we are dealing with an area where access was exceedingly difficult. So his disease extended proximally in the, in the SFA on the left side. So we couldn't access him antegrade to fix. We had to come through the bypass conduit to do this, and we couldn't come from the arm. So we had a small window of access. This guy, this gentleman's uh, uh, right groin was heavily scarred. 
And if anybody do, who does a lot of procedures knows very well, scarred, uh, scar tissue is a, a very uh, high risk for developing access site complications, large hematomas, major adverse events. Uh, so you have to be exceedingly cautious. Uh, even with ultrasound, it was difficult and challenging to see the artery, but we had a small window to access, and then we were able to complete the intervention uh, and uh, revascularize his SFA, popliteal, and tibial vessels and get restored flow to the foot. So that's the great part of the procedure, right? So you get that part done. Now you have to deal with probably, which is equally important, which is now the closure, because if you get poor closure in this gentleman, what are you going to do? He could die if he bleeds, right? And Or he may need a surgical cut down to stop the bleeding. And so we knew this well, we were well aware of this. We we discussed this with our surgeon who was on standby in case this closure device failed. So we ended up using a Vascade closure device. It was a seven French uh, Vascade because uh, we needed the appropriate tools to treat him on the left side. We can utilize the tools such as fluoroscopy to see the disc uh, as it expands. And we noted that the disc was, for the from the Vascade device was getting caught on some calcium uh, before, uh, in the uh, external iliac artery where the uh, the device was placed. And as we pulled back, if you didn't look on fluoroscopy, you wouldn't know. So what you do is you basically retract the disc on the Vascade device, pull it a little bit more, deploy it, and then you're able to uh, join the disc to the arteriotomy. And we were able to get a successful closure uh, and everybody was happy. So that's just, these are just, a, this is just a case that just popped up from last week, actually, that I think uh, highlights the importance of closure. Uh, but you have to be using good technique. And I think uh, that's going to be the key uh, for any success. Since the pandemic, there's been a desire to not keep patients in the hospital longer than necessary, or even in, in an OBL. What are your goals for early ambulation and improving the workflow for your staff? as well as yourself? So workflow for us is important. Um, you know, we're a high volume center. Uh, our ambulatory surgery center is uh, dealing with patients with critical limb-threatening ischemia um, all over Louisiana and even outside the state. Uh, so with that in mind, we need to be able to treat our patients uh, and make sure that some of these patients are able to go home. And so early ambulation is and, and adequate access is going to be key. Now, in our lab, it's it's uh, especially in the outpatient side, it's a little bit uh, uh, we're unique in the sense that we have a sonographer with us in the lab uh, uh, at all times who we use a lot of extravascular ultrasound guided uh, crossing and, and, and we utilize that modality. But we also utilize them to ensure that we have adequate closure. So before the patients leave, we actually image the, the, uh, the femoral artery, the common femoral artery, to ensure that there's adequate seal. So we utilize that in the outpatient setting, but it's a lot easier to do that when you have a minimized bed rest and the patients are able to get up and you feel more comfortable and confident that these patients are going to go home without a late complication or hematoma. And in you know, the hospital setting, I think um, uh, the patient's Obviously, in the, in the era of the pandemic, it was vitally important that we kept our beds and rooms available, right? We wanted to minimize who was going to be admitted into the hospital uh, to the only those who were the most critically ill. And so uh, closure devices were a great uh, benefit to all of us in the, not just me as a vascular interventionist, but also to my structural heart colleagues, my EP colleagues, uh, you name it. 
uh, we all benefited greatly from getting these patients home same day. So I think it's been a, a, a tremendous benefit for us when you look at it, the grand scheme of closure. What do you think the future holds for femoral access and closure procedures? I think the future for vascular closure devices will be bright. Uh, I think they're a, a very, they play a vital role in, in every cath lab. Uh, and I think uh, patients are, are the most to benefit from this because uh, they don't have to lay in bed for six hours, which is not a very comfortable thing to do. Great. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today and sharing your expertise. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Thank you. And that does it for this episode of Vascular Voices. Thank you to Dr. Nair for being our guest. To find more podcast episodes, visit our website at vasculardiseasemanagement.com, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We would like to again thank our sponsor, Humanetics Vascular Closure. To learn more, please go to info.humanetics.com slash closure. Thanks for listening.